Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, October 7th, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book in Chapter 7, Working with Others, on page 91, the last two lines, beginning with, When He Sees You Know. Today's readers are Ken on the 12 Steps, Rose on the 12 Traditions, Laura, Sylvia, Judy B., and Deborah R. The reference number for Sunday is 5265. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Ken to read the 12 steps. Ken, press star one to unmute. Rebecca, I can do that. This is Melanie. Thank you, Melanie. Hello, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Oregon this morning. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we are powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. 
praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Melanie. I will now ask Rose to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Rebecca. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, An OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public controversy Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Rose. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share Press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 7, Working with Others, on page 91, 
the second to the last line, beginning with when he sees. I will ask Laura to begin reading. Good morning, everyone. This is Laura, recovered in South Jersey. When he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an, al- as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest you do this as we have done it in the chapter on alcoholism. If he is alcoholic, he will understand you at once. He will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. And good morning, everyone. It's Laura from South Jersey. Um, You know, this paragraph just reminds me, the word mental is here twice. It reminds me that my job here when I work with others is to carry the message. It's to remind someone that this is not just a willpower problem. This is a not just a food problem. This is a mental obsession, an obsession of the mind and an allergy of the body. Um, you know, they're telling you here, yes, it's cunning, baffling, and powerful, but only another addict can help an addict. And by giving him a, uh, showing him the mental twist which leads to the first drink, he's going to be able to identify in and feel safe and comfortable and, and, you know, think that, wow, you, you did that too? You know, I did that. Yes, I ate hidden in my room. I ate out of the trash. I ate in the bathroom. I was out at 3 in the morning exercising because I needed to burn it off. I was lying to people about what I ate. I was lying to people about how much I ate and what I didn't eat. All that stuff, only another addict, and only another food addict can understand that. Um, so, you know, you, I mean, even go back to more about alcoholism and and remind him that all action is born, born in thought and remind him about the story of the jaywalker and Jim and how self-knowledge serves no purpose in our addiction. So um, it's just being supportive and let him identify in and um, and to let him know that there is a solution. And by working with others and by following these 12 simple principles in these steps, we can be recovered. Thanks for letting me share. Pass. Thank you, Laura. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hi, this is Melanie, compulsive overeater. Hi, Melanie. Hi, good morning, Rebecca. Thank you for your service. When I was looking at this in relation to the um, previous paragraphs, when they ask me to just kind of feel him out a little bit, you know, have the doctor kind of give him an idea and and then just kind of give him some examples of my drinking ex- escapades, episodes. Uh, in my case, it would be eating. It now says, start to describe yourself as an alcoholic. That tells me there's something different now. I get to go deeper into what I've learned from the doctor's opinion what they found out there. I get to start describing the two aspects of step one, basically, that it's an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And then I get to take that obsession of the mind and describe then how that kind of thinking would interfere in any of my attempts and that the hopelessness, once I put any allergens into my body, caused me to be doomed from ever being able to do anything about that. 
at all. And that I could also then describe in, in experience form the unmanageability of my life that came that about as a result of that obsession. So I get to really get into that real description now of an alcoholic and they're talking about how you know baffled I was time after time after time that I would go in you know on a Monday morning and try this plan again and then line that up against being a true alcoholic, this true diagnosable illness. And from that pattern being able to to guide that person in understanding that there was nothing that I could do about this with all those attempts but continue to lead it into the fact that I'm an alcoholic, that is this diagnosable illness. I think that's very um, specific in this particular paragraph for me. Thanks, I'll pass. Thank you, Melanie. This is Would Paula. Anyone... Is this is Paula, may I share? Paula. Go right ahead. Thank you. And thank you. And I do apologize for stepping on your little voice there, Missy. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Reader. You know, the first line... I'm loving going with the first line. When he sees, okay, when he sees, you know all about the drinking game. Don't you think that's kind of a light word to use here, a game? Is that what it is? Think of the games we play. We play war. We play battleship when we sink the battleship. We play checkers. We skip over. Why do they use the word game, though? Because, honey, don't fire everything at him. You'll knock him out of the water and out of your life. Even here, step by step, how do we approach? This is a very serious matter. But look what they say the line before. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories. There's humorous stories. Look at what you're doing. You're bringing him in beside you. Then, now look at you. Tell him how baffled you were. See, this is how he feels. Tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned, ooh, that you were sick. Not bad. Just sick. Give him, give him, remember the words now we're looking at, give him. Don't push it, don't shove it. Pass it to him in account of the struggles you made to stop. Not how easy it was. Show him the mental twist. Oop. How did that happen? Which leads to the first drink of a spree. Look at how gently this is done. We suggest you do this as we have done it in the chapter on alcoholism. If he is an alcoholic, and I know I'm reading everything here, but look at the words. He will understand you at once. And then he'll come alongside, as you did. And he will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. Some we started with, he will see. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Leah. Hi, Leah. Go right ahead. Hey, Rebecca. Good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick, you know, that this disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twist, which leads to the first drink of a spree. So this um, 
sharing that we do, you know, one one compulsive overeater to another, um, you know, we kind of lay out the picture. Yes, there are certain substances, and the alcoholic, obviously the alcoholic is allergic to alcohol, and that's a bad problem, that once that alcoholic ingests alcohol, it triggers a phenomenon of craving for more. And so we describe that. But then it says, show him the mental twist, which leads to the first drink of a spree. And, of course, you and I know that this is the greater aspect of the disease, so, you know, I can lay out this picture that, um, you know, even after I eliminated those substances, even after I put down the food, when I abstain from binge foods, when I'm off of them for a while, I start to feel uncomfortable. I start to feel deprived. I start to feel impatient, on edge. I'm kind of jealous of other people eating. I'm, I'm restless. I'm irritable. I'm discontent. And these feelings, these thoughts, crowd my mind. That's what I share with the still-suffering compulsive overeater, that these thoughts of mine crowd my mind, and they get so loud, and despite the pain and despite the suffering and despite the tears that I have shed while binging, I make a decision to pick up that first bite once again. It's like I forget to remember. I can't remember the suffering. I can't remember the humiliation. I can't remember the shame. I can't remember the torture. All I remember is the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once after taking a few bites. That is the mental twist. That is the mental twist that I cannot stop once I've started picking up, but I can't stop from starting again. I can't stop from starting again. And this is really the baffling nature. This is, this is really uh, starting to broaden someone's understanding of what's going on, that no matter how great the necessity or no matter how great the wish, we have lost choice over that first bite, over that first drink. Vital to um, describe that, vital to describe that, that we have a bad problem. Alcohol is a bad problem, that's for sure. My food substances that I'm allergic to, bad problem. But I have a much, much, much worse problem, and that is a mental problem. That strange mental twist that makes thinking about my binge foods uh, and forces out thoughts to the contrary. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Sharon. Hi, Sharon. Go right ahead. Hi, this is Sharon. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So grateful to be on the line with you this morning. What what stands out for me in this paragraph is it says it says that we should uh, talk to him along the lines of what is discussed in the chapter on alcoholism. It says, uh, we suggest you do this as we have done in the chapter on alcoholism. And so looking at the chapter on alcoholism, what stands out is that there's three three guys. You had the, We had the man of 30, we had Jim, and we had Fred. And in terms of of looking at their stories and and the stories that Bill presented to us 
and in the man of 30, he was the guy who stopped drinking for, what was it, 25 years. And then he, or 20 years, however he was old, but he stopped drinking for an extended period of time and thought that he could then drink again and found out that nothing he could do um, could get him back sober again. So what we learned from the man of 30 is that extended periods of sobriety do not make us able to eat like a normal person. So no amount of time being stopped can make us normal. And if we do take that first bite, no matter how long we've been abstinent, it doesn't matter. That one bite will take us back down the rabbit hole. We will be back face down in the food again. So we have to know that. And and uh, that's something that we can impress upon our persons that we talk to. And then Jim, he failed to grow along spiritual lines. And what we're told through Jim is that we are, uh, well, we don't talk to people directly about growing along spiritual lines, but that's the way Bill, just in a nutshell, said he, in describing Jim, Jim was a person who uh, did not grow along spiritual lines. He didn't work with others, which is one of the major ways that we we um, grow along spiritual lines. He wasn't um, growing in prayer meditation. And these are not necessarily terms that we talk to newcomers, but in talking to a newcomer, we failing to grow along spiritual lines we talk about that in terms of failure to understand our powerlessness. If we don't understand our powerlessness over alcohol, over food, we cannot stay stopped. So we need to recognize and understand our powerlessness, that our behavior is absurd and it's incomprehensible, and that we are powerless to over our even over our mental our, over our thinking we forget the pain and the humiliation and and we start again even though we know it some part of us knows that once we drink we do crazy things we're out of control but we can't help but stop we're powerless this is a disease and when we look at fred Basically, what Fred's problem was is that he thought he could be cured on self-knowledge, and self-knowledge avails us not. It doesn't help us. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Eileen? Go ahead, Eileen. Thanks for letting me share. Um, This is Eileen. I'm a food addict from Bedford, Mass. Um, you know, commence, begin to describe yourself as an alcoholic to the person who's suffering. Um, I could easily do that um, when I came back in uh, because I was out there for 18 years 
and I experienced a lot of consequences because of this disease, uh, regardless of it, if it's alcohol or food or gambling or smoking or work, whatever the addiction is, you experience consequences. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. I could do that when I was stopped, but I couldn't do that when I was out there still consuming. Um, you know, it, it, it matters, uh, the uh, willingness to stop using your substance, that it's potent, the, the amount of influence you can have over someone. And we're talking about someone who's also experiencing this um, addiction working with others um, and how powerful your your influence can be when you're quit, but you can only be that way when you're uh, you know what you're go- what you went through. Um, so I could so identify with this par- paragraph so much. Um, if he is alcoholic, he will understand you at once. So the individual is going to understand the person who's quit. Um, so anyway, thanks for letting me share, and I'll pass. Thank you, Eileen. This is Rebecca F. from Connecticut, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. And I'm just so happy to know that when all else fails, perhaps a fellow compulsive overeater in this disease can help another compulsive overeater in this disease. And why don't we move on to the next paragraph with Sylvia. Hi, this is Sylvia, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. If you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show him, from your experience, how the queer mental conditions surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. Don't, at this stage, refer to this book unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he could still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can if he is not too alcoholic, but insist that if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. So, uh, interesting directions, and um, I know that when I first came in, I was an evangelist, and, you know, if I thought you had what I had, I was going to tell you, and um, I, I could tell you that that never did work. So, it starts with, if you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, like I am a real compulsive overeater, that's, you know, not that they have a weight problem or a or a uh, a problem with some binge foods, but if, if they're what I have, then I can start to tell really tell the bo- the underbelly of my story, and um, and so I can tell about all the different food eating things that that I did because they're going to be able to relate. But this is where we get into what makes me pick up that food in the first place. 
And so, you know, when I'm talking about it, I can say, you know, when, when I go to where there's a social gathering, I just want to stand by the buffet or the hors d'oeuvre table because I'm uncomfortable. I want them to like me. And I don't know how to do that. And so what I do is I stand there and I eat because I'm so uncomfortable being me. You know, and I can start to talk about what does it feel like to be a compulsive overeater because, you know, we know that food is food is the you know that that's the barometer of how we're doing i mean that's not the problem uh my thinking is the problem and so i'm starting to get into what it's like to feel like it is to be a compulsive overeater and to me that that's an essential part because um you know, so many times it's like it's about the food, it's about the food. Well, it's about the food, but it's actually, yeah, not about the food. So don't at this stage refer to this book. And so you don't you don't want to cram it down his throat. You got to read the AA, and you got to read the first 160 pages, 63 pages that we're going for, and then we're going to work because that is it's they're just in the self determination, and not to brand him. And so let him draw his own conclusion. So this is about someone else saying, I think I have what you have. I think I have what you have. And I heard on this meeting a year ago, it was, uh, and it probably wasn't this exact paragraph, but someone said what they do is, oh, it was on another meeting, I'm sorry, but they go basically, here, kitty, 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 kitty. You know, and I always could relate to that as like, oh, you want to get them identifying and over there with you. Um, and then even if they think that they have what you have, but yeah, they're going to be fine. They're going to go back to Weight Watchers or whatever. God bless them. If they want to try, they can. If you're not too, too alcoholic, if you're not too big a compulsive overeater, go for it. But if you have what I have, you're pro- it's probably not going to help, and you probably know that. So if, important directions there. Um, and and the big, I guess there's a couple of big things in there overall is to let them decide and to choose. This isn't up to us. Let them decide that they're that they have what that what we have and that they want what we have. I mean, so that's really important. And the other is when we begin to dwell on the hopeless and we're starting to twelve step them. You know, I always have to stop and say, okay, God, you know, direct me into how this person can hear me. You know, what do I need to say? And I I am aware that this is a very delicate time and that I don't necessarily know how to do that and that um, God will. And I just have to give this up to God and this person's recovery, if, if, if that person doesn't come in for 10 years, it doesn't mean I didn't plant a seed. Um, it's, this is all just me being of service to someone who is uh, a compulsive overeater, possibly, and um, to let me tell them there is a solution and to give them hope. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sylvia. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? It's Leah. Hi, Leah. Go right ahead. Thanks so much. Um, This part of the book is just so 
so much fun because this is our specialty, right? This is, you know, the big book says we've recovered and been given, given power to help others. How do we have that power? We have that power because we have um, the pain of our past, and now I get to use that pain. It says if you are satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell. So I begin to focus to to uh, keep the attention on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show him from your own experience. So I'm going to share not from knowledge. I'm not going to share, you know, from an intellectual standpoint. I'm going to share from my experience how that queer mental conditioning surrounding that first drink. So I'm going to talk about even after I eliminated those substances, even after I put down the food, that queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevented my normal functioning of my willpower. So I'm going to start to focus on that through my own experience. I'm not going to point fingers and I'm not going to, um, you know, try to twist their arm or try to diagnose their case. All I'm doing is throwing out the bait and slowly reeling them in through my own experience. And I'm aiming to produce a crisis by relating the seriousness of my experience, of my own experience. I'm slowly turning the screws. I'm going to start talking about this utter inability that I had to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or wish. You know, I was suffering. I, I had mental torture. I had emotional turmoil. I was having deep depression and isolation and suicidal thinking. I was obese. I had medical consequences. I was crying real tears, vowing and making promises that I was not going to binge the next day, not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. What is wrong with me? Why do I eat like this? Why can't I stop? I'm not going to do that again. And yet the next week or the next day, I'd be back at it. I'm not stupid. I'm, I'm pretty bright. Went to an Ivy League college. Have a decent, good memory. And if I burn my hand on a hot stove, chances are I'm always going to remember that pain. Now, binge foods, you know, burn me over and over and over and over again, but for some strange, queer reason left in my own devices and my own resources, I can't remember what compulsive overeating does to me. I just keep thinking about the sense of ease and comfort I get after those first few bites. So as I dwell on this, perhaps, you know, uh, through, uh, you know, God's grace and all the powers that be, this person may, may, identify in. They may identify in because this is language that they're not getting from the psychiatrist. This is language that they're not getting from their therapist. That they're not getting from their, from their physician because this is talk that only one compulsive overeater can share with another because we carry a message of depth and weight. We're armed with facts about ourselves, not facts out of a book, facts about ourselves, facts that we lived. So this is this is our uh, this is our expertise. This is our expertise. So we use it because we're God's agents. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Leah. Would overeater in New Jersey? Hi, Zeldi. Go right ahead. Hey, thank you so much for your service. Uh, I find this uh, paragraph extremely powerful, and um, I just 
you know, coming into program, actually, I, I, I experienced this exactly. Um, it says here, if you are satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. And then later it says, um, um, and be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can, if he's not too alcoholic, but he insists that if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. I remember um, I was struggling for years. I was another, um, I'm, I'm another, another two uh, 12-step programs, um, so um, I was pretty aware of the 12 steps and how they can help. But um, I remember my other programs. There were people that were in OA, and I felt like I was very like I used to talk about my problem. Um, I'm overeating, and but I was in, I was in a lot of denial. I just felt like I I needed to talk. And I, some of the people in, in 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 the program that I used to speak to about overeating that weren't overeating OA, um, you know, had. You know, for the people that, you know, used to force and say, you know, you're an overeater, come to OA. And, um, you know, I used to, like, recoil from that. I felt um, controlled, and and I felt like I needed to come to a point of desperation myself. Um, and, you know, nobody can nobody can make me change. I have to have the will to change. Um, and that's the only thing that works, Um you know, I can't be forced into anything. Like, you know, trying to make the alcoholic change. You know, if you're living with an alcoholic, um, because I know I also live with an alcoholic, and I, I try to force the person to change, and it doesn't work. So, um, you know, for me, when people have told me uh, what I need to do, ironically, um, you know, like I said, I, I, I wouldn't listen. It was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be controlled um, and this is such a powerful lesson because um, I remember when I wanted to uh, sponsor my other programs, um, I was so terrified because I felt like I can only sponsor they do what I say. And, you know, for years I haven't sponsored because I know who I am. I know I still need to work on myself and to let go, um, you know, put in the effort doing my the service, but let uh, you know, give give the results over to God about other people, and um, so this is such a powerful lesson. Like this really helps me. Like when I'm ready to sponsor, um, th- this gives me the tools. This gives me like a guideline of how to do it, and um, it's just it's it's incredibly powerful. And the words are so beautiful, and they give me tremendous direction. Um, you know how you know the balance of being there for a person. Um, but yet um, doing it selflessly and, um, you know, just doing service. It's not about changing the person, making them who you want them to be. Um, it's about keeping the focus on yourself and um, doing the best. And, and that's the only thing that can really bring um, um, results. When, when, you know, you're really there for a person genuinely with, with love, and and you let them be who they need to be, and and to let them find their way and their path um, and their own conclusion. So thank you so much for listening, and I pass. Thank you, Zelzi. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is, this is Paula. May I share? 
I think I heard Janice and Paula. Was there a third person? Okay, Janice and then Paula. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. If you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. The hopeless feature. You know, if you're anything like me and you are responding to someone in whom the problem had been solved, someone who had the solution, and you're going to hear that feature. You're going to hear that hopelessness. That's what I needed to hear. I had no idea. I had no idea that there was this hopeless feature of the malady. I thought I just had to dig deeper, try a little harder, pull myself up by my bootstraps, find that willpower that I once thought I had and battle this thing and battle this thing. But I did not know that there was a feature of this illness that I could not battle. That by my own will, lack of power was always going to be my dilemma because it was the first drink, it was the first bite that I had no power over. You know, how show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. This was new information for me. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my, it's the first bite. It's not the 10th bite or the 100th bite. It was that first bite that got me every time because I would tell myself this time it's going to be different this time I'm going to be able to walk by that bakery this time I'm not going to buy that cellophane bag that carton that bakery box I'm not going to do it I'm not going to do it but I would find myself walking in and saying this time it's going to be different this time I'm going to have just one just one but what I didn't know is that first bite, that first drink, was the one I was powerless over. I was powerless over it. And no matter how many times I told myself it was going to be different, I would find myself in that same situation again. So here was someone in front of me who said, I am like you. I've had that problem too. This was my experience. She said, this was my experience. And she told me my story. That first bite got her again and again and again. And my ears perked up because I thought, well, if she had my problem and she doesn't have it anymore, what did she do? What did she do? Because it says at this stage, don't even bother with the book. Because I needed to get hooked. I needed to know that she was like me, that I was like her, and I could identify That first bite was the one that always got me. And if I'm powerless over that first bite, and my thinking takes me to that first bite over and over and over again, then maybe I am one of those who's severely afflicted. And if I think I've got one more run in me, if I think I've got one more attempt, 
at doing this by myself. And she kindly said, then go ahead and try that. Maybe that'll work for you this time. But if you're anything like me, this was my problem. This was my experience. And I know deep down inside of me that that was my experience too. And my interest was piqued and I got hooked because I thought if she had what I had and doesn't have the same problem, she's dealing with it and finding a solution for it, then maybe I want to know more. And that's what got me hooked. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Paula? Thank you. This is Paula, Recovered Compulsive Arita. You know, as I was listening, and and, uh, I will tell you, queer mental conditions surrounding, that's it, surrounding. There's no way out. There's no way out. This battle will not be won. And I always think of that movie, Remember the Alamo. Honey, I didn't remember. I didn't remember. I thought it was going to be different this time, that every time the ending the same. But I want to come down to, if he is not too alcoholic, honey, pat him on the back. He either knows or he doesn't. If he needs more, ah, this too. But I want to go to, when we say don't show him the big book or don't go into, he can't understand it. Not yet. That's why he needs you along with him, but he doesn't know that part yet. But you know, on page 180, before the big book was written, Bill came to Dr. Bob. He gave me information, I'm reading verbatim, 180, about the subject of alcoholism, which was undoubtedly helpful, of far more importance. Oh, yeah, that was helpful. But look at here. was the fact that he was the first living human with whom I had ever talked who knew what he was talking about in regard to alcoholism from actual experience. In other words, he talked my language. He knew all the answers, and certainly not because he had picked them up in his reading. He talked my language. Go to a foreign country when you don't understand. Can you identify with that? I don't understand. And then finally, finally someone comes up to you. I speak your language. The relief the relief. But this here now we've changed a little bit here on the on the importance but insist. Oh now that's a strong word. Insist. They're the love and the caring in coming alongside that if he is severely afflicted there may be little chance he can recover by himself. Thank you for allowing me to share with that I do pass. Whoops, sorry. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share? This is Larissa, recovered in New York. May I comment? Did you say Marissa? Larissa with an L. Larissa. Go but right. I'll answer to anything. Larissa. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. My name is Larissa. I'm a grateful recovery. I really love the, the paragraphs and all the wisdom, experience, and hope that's being shared around it. Um, the, the key here is, is allowing someone to see that the condition is a desperate one and um, in how it works when we ask um, a protege um, if they have decided they want what they have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, um, that is really verifying. Is, is this person desperate? Because that gift of desperation is what begets the willingness to do the work in the first place. 
And then in the very next paragraph, they're asked if they believe there's a easier, softer way out there, you know, that, you know, the, the humility of the first 100 in the instructions that they basically say, we have not cornered the market on the only solution, but it's the only solution that works for us. So we can only guide you on the facts of our experience and what works for us, and you have to want that because this program is not for those who need it. It's those who, for those who want it and believe it can work for them, and ultimately for those who are willing to go to any length to have recovery so that they will do whatever is required to do the work, um, the rigorous work. And so, you know, th that desperation first, that reminder that we're doomed, it uh, makes me think back to um, Roland Hazard's story in There is a Solution where he goes to uh, Carl Young and, um, and Young basically tells him an alcohol of your type is doomed, but there, there's just no way on it. There's a reference to it. It was as though the gates of hell slammed shut with a clang. You know, we are trapped in these, um, when we're in the throes of this disease, we are trapped in a hell of our own creation, and there's no way out. And when we get to that deep, dark space, that's when we're willing to grab onto that lifeboat and seek a solution to get out. Um, so, you know, I, I, the instructions are so helpful that the first phase of helping someone understand is not to lead to the spiritual solution that has solved our problem, but to actually help them understand that we used to be like they were and we're no longer that way, um, but to understand the nature of the condition and the fact that the strange mental twist and the physical response to the allergy, the combo makes us doomed. And then that other reminder throughout the book, it's like the person has to decide for themselves. We can't, we can't put that label on them. They have to come of their own free will to decide that they are one of us and that they want what we have. So really clear cut boundaries. Um, thanks for letting me comment. Thank you, Larissa. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Steve. Go right ahead, Steve. Last week I was feeling not desperate and I was not feeling willing. And uh, I saw that and I prayed for willingness. And uh, the power of prayer got me out of that disease talking. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Steve. Anyone else on this paragraph? Well, this is Rebecca F. from Connecticut, still a grateful, uh, recovered, compulsive overeater. And I've been listening to everyone sharing on, these, <clears throat> on this paragraph and thinking about how um, I work with the public and um, some of my customers I see um, very often, and others I might see once every three months or even once a year or even once every three years. So um, people walk in the door and they see that I've either lost weight or I'm still thin, and they always remark. And many of them have weight problems, and 
of course, this is the most important thing in my life, and I love to talk about it, but I do have to tread lightly because, quite frankly, um, I could alienate my customers, (laughs) and um, I'm aware, I've learned, I've become aware of the fact that they may not want to come back because it makes them squirm to see me when they're um, still struggling and they have learned from me that there's another way that works. And so um, I used to, when I first um, got recovered, really kind of gush about this stuff to everybody who, you know, expressed an interest. And um, I can tell from this paragraph that I need to be careful not to brand someone a compulsive overeater and let them draw their own conclusion and um, accept people exactly the way they are and allow them to, um, you know, I can tell them about myself, but um, they need to decide for themselves if they're interested in what I have and to make them feel you know, regardless of their situation, I can accept them. And it's not just customers, it's my friends and my family, too. You know, I can't go around like a bull in a china shop trying to um, knock people over. They have to want what I have. And if they do, I think I make it clear that I'm available to them. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we close? Okay. Um, I think it's time to close then. This is um, Katie. Oh, Katie. Sorry, I was trying to unmute and I hit the wrong button. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive reader in Virginia. Um, and this, you know, this is, um, we have to share our experience and trust the process that by sharing my experience with all these people, and, you know, I, I mean, I can't even name all the people that I've shared this program with and, you know, started working with, and then they decided, you know, that they weren't real alcoholics. But I stayed recovered because of that. And now I am still available to help someone else. And that's the purpose of the 12th step, is that we continue to grow our spiritual life because we are sharing with others and it's a constant reminder of how cunning, baffling, and powerful this disease is. Um. I can't, you know, no one could convince me that I was the compulsive overeater who needed um, the drastic measures that uh, we take of, you know, the things that I have not eaten, thank God, for 26 years today is my abstinence anniversary. And when I uh, got abstinent that day, I didn't know that, you know, I ate my last cookie and I had my last bowl of ice cream and I had my last binge. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that God was going to give me this gift. And, you know, if I don't remember what it was like the day before, 
and the week before and the month before, I will have to go back there. And just because I've been absent for 26 years doesn't mean that I won't go back there. You know, we, as uh, Sharon was talking about the three stories in More About Alcoholism, you know, I'm the man of 30 right now, although I'm not the man of 30 because I didn't just quit um, my substance. I work a program today. And I work the program today the same way I did, if not harder, than I did 26 years ago because this is a powerful disease. And I have to remember that. And I cannot um, make someone realize that they are hopeless. But I can share with them how hopeless I was. And I can share with them what happened that I was able to get out of my own way and stop talking myself out of doing the work that's required to stay on this path. You know, I, I cannot make someone be there. I have, you know, three people in my mind right now that I shared, you know, this program with, you know, one, one year ago, one five years ago, and one ten years ago. And they are still out there trying to prove that they don't need this program. You know, and, and that could make me feel really depressed. But you know what? There's other people who want what I have. And they're... And I have stayed abstinent, so I am still available to share with them. So this paragraph is, you know, just reminding us that we, um, we can't decide for someone else if he is a true alcoholic, but they can decide on their own through our sharing of our experience, strength, and health. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Judy B. please read A Vision for You? Our big, our book is meant to be suggestive only. Uh, good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. This is Judy B., recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.